We are in 1 John chapter number 1, 1 John chapter number 1, while you're uh, turning there, um, many of you remember Sister Marie Sarazen, I just found out this morning that her father passed away yesterday morning, and so I'd just like to encourage all of us as a church family to be praying for Sister Marie and all of her family as they go through um, this time of grief and sorrow. Uh, Erwin and Marie have been a special blessing here, and we certainly enjoyed the time that they were part of this this church, and uh, they're living up in the New York area and still serving God. And so, um, as I said, please continue to pray for them. 1 John chapter number 1, if you would stand as we read the Word of God here this morning. 1 John, and we're going to be in chapter 1 for most of the sermon here this morning, but for our opening text, I've chosen verse 5 through verse number 7. Verse 5 says, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. I want to speak this morning on the topic of meaningful fellowship. Let's pray and ask that the Lord would bless this time together. Our Father in heaven, in the name of Jesus Christ, we come before you asking that the Holy Spirit would anoint and bless this message this morning. Lord, no doubt it is a needful message. We live in a day and age where... Uh, Too many people profess to know you, but don't really know what it means to have fellowship with you. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you desire to have fellowship with us. We are honored and humbled and, Lord, amazed that a holy God would seek to have fellowship with sinful men as us. We pray now that as we open up the Word of God here and we explore these truths that you have uh, given us so freely... Lord, help us not only to understand what meaningful fellowship is, but help us to learn and to experience that meaningful fellowship in our day-to-day lives. Help us, we pray. If there be anyone here today that doesn't understand fellowship with you, perhaps they've never been reconciled to you through the blood of your Son and through the cross of Calvary, Lord, we sang earlier about being redeemed, and I pray, Father, that you would speak to that heart and help them to see the necessity and the need of being redeemed and show them what you did for them on the cross of Calvary and help us to faithfully preach the Word of God here today. May the Holy Spirit use it as you see fit. Help us to glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Several Wednesday nights ago, we had what I thought was a very wonderful Bible study and prayer meeting. It just seemed from my perspective that the Lord was present with us. And after the service, so many of you hung around and just fellowshiped. And there was just such a sweet spirit here. And I remember my wife and I, we were, I believe, the last people to leave the parking lot. And we pulled out and pulled out onto Museum Road and then turned right on Chipley Ford, headed toward our home. And 
course, if you're familiar with that road, we go through a series of curves going through the, the woods there. And as we finish one of those last major curves, there's kind of a straightaway stretch that goes down into the bottom. And as we rounded out that last curve, we, to, we saw something we don't normally see on a Wednesday night. It, it was just full of flashing blue lights. And I mean, there had to have been maybe five or six um, squad cars with their lights flashing. You could see that it was not only on the sides of the road, but it was in the middle of the road. And so we did what anyone would do. We just immediately stopped. And so there was no traffic in front of us. It was just us. Of course, it's Wednesday night. There's not a lot of traffic anyways. And so as we stopped, probably easily a hundred yards away from where the blue lights are, my, my immediate thought is that there is a wreck uh, and we need to stay back so that we don't cause any further harm. And then, you know, your mind starts thinking, well, maybe it's not a wreck. Maybe it's an altercation. Maybe it's a drug bust. And all of these thoughts come through your mind. And as a citizen that cares and supports our uh, officers of the law, we didn't want to cause any problems, and so we just stayed back. Well, the next thing you know, there is a flashlight, and you can see the flashlights, and it looks like either the flashlight is doing this or is doing this. All I know is that here's a light, it's gone, light, gone, light, gone. What do we do? I didn't know what to do. I'm looking at my wife. I, what, are, what are they wanting us to do? And the next thing you know, the flashlight becomes a strobe light. So it's just flashing, and I'm going, I don't know what to do. So I thought, well, maybe they're telling us to go away, and so I started to turn around, do a three-point turn, and to leave. And the next thing you know, one of the squad cars is zooming down towards us. And come to find out, it was a traffic stop, and they thought that they were getting ready to have some excitement. And I told the police officer, we just kind of chuckled, and the, the police officer was kind of half-humored and half-irritated, because I think that they wanted some excitement. And they found out, you know, you know I still got my, my suit and my tie on, and it's just like, they figured, here's a preacher coming home from church on a Wednesday night, it's like, oh, no big deal, and I said, hey, I'm sorry, I drove by, I said, I'm sorry, but I don't understand flashlight braille. Because I didn't. We had no idea what we were supposed to be doing. So you say, what's the point of that story? Well, I'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of the message this morning. Meaningful fellowship. There are many different perspectives on the definition of what fellowship is. Not only that, but there are, as we know, different levels of fellowship. Some fellowship is just casual well, some fellowship is more intimate. I always think of the fellowship that David and Jonathan had that was a very close, intimate fellowship. And by the way, it was a holy and a righteous fellowship. Uh, this rainbow crowd today has corrupted and perverted the Word of God and certainly inferred some things about that relationship that is wicked and evil. And we ought to certainly stand up for what's right. The term fellowship actually comes from an old Anglo-Saxon word that was fee-lo-ship, fee, F-E-E. Fee was the word for cow in those days, and 
the word fellowship came from, uh, you know, the cows were their money. That was their source of income. Their, they would trade among cattle and so forth. And what they would do is they would put their cows together and basically just do away with the fences. All the cows from various owners would be put together, thus showing trust in one another. And so fee, meaning the 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 money or so to speak, fellowship was we're just all trusting each other and with our goods. Most people don't know that the shaking of hands is a custom. We talk about the right hand of fellowship. Back in the day, the right hand was during feudalistic society, the right hand was used to hold a weapon. And whenever you would shake right hands, it meant that you didn't have a weapon in your hand and it was a display that, hey, you trust me and I trust you. That's where our custom of handshaking comes from. I like the custom of handshaking. I certainly don't want to be too biblical and go back to the New Testament where the Bible says to greet one another with an holy kiss. Handshakes are perfectly fine, and that's before and after the pandemic. But you know, folks, seriously, the need for meaningful fellowship was created in our very nature. In Genesis 2.18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. He said, I'll make an helpmeet for him, and too often men have viewed their helpmeet as just domestic support. You know, you think about Adam in the Garden of Eden. He didn't need anybody to cook for him. God said, you can freely eat of all of the trees of the garden. He didn't need anybody to sew his clothes for him or make his clothes. They didn't need any back then. Adam didn't need any domestic support, but God knew the nature of Adam because God had created Adam after his image. He said, let us make Man, after our our image, after our likeness. You know, it's an amazing thing about God. God created that need for meaningful fellowship in us, not because God has a need for it, but rather because God has a desire for that meaningful fellowship. But the way that he created us was with a need, and that need was supposed to be met by God himself. But that meaningful fellowship was royally messed up, folks. Get a load of Genesis 3, verse number 7. After Adam and Eve partook of that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one that God said that the day that you eat thereof, you'll surely die, it says, and the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. You'd think, okay, they've Solved the problem. They've covered their nakedness. But verse 8, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Physically, they were at least somewhat clothed. But when God shows up, they recognize that this clothing, this nakedness was more than just a physical nakedness. It was also a very spiritual nakedness. Talk about feeling vulnerable in a way that they'd never, their conscience was enlightened. They they knew good from evil, just like God said that they would. And because of that, 
the fellowship between man and God was royally messed up. We're not talking about just a little bit. We're talking about a lot of bit. And so as we talk about meaningful fellowship here this morning, I want to talk first of all about the distinctives of fellowship. The word fellowship is emphasized, especially in the Christian epistles. We find it two to one over the word worship. And of course, modern Christianity makes so much about worship. And the fact of the matter is, is modern Christianity doesn't even know what worship is. Worship has become an emotional experience based on a performance that takes place on a platform. And nothing, nothing could be further than the truth. It is a perversion of something that God intended. Music is a wonderful thing. God created it. David the psalmist would sing songs. In fact, he would play music in order to soothe the spirit of a very, uh, a very troubled king. The music is very powerful, and it is a tool in worship, but modern Christianity has made it all about music as if music is worship, but it's not, folks. Worship is far, what we call worship today, you would think that if that's the focal point, if you're supposed to have 45 minutes of that in a church service followed by a 30-minute sermon from the Word of God, you would think that there would be an example or a pattern for that in the New Testament. But there's nothing of that sort. Nothing of that sort. You find that after they had communion, they went out and they sang a hymn. That's about all that you find as far as music in the New Testament. We find it in the Old Testament. I'm not minimizing the importance or the value of it. I'm just simply trying to get us as God's people, to place it back in its proper perspective and priority. The emphasis to us in the church age is not necessarily worship, but it is fellowship. Now, look at verse 1 through verse number 4 with me. And we're going to see here that fellowship is really three different things. It's informational, it's experiential, And yes, it is also emotional. If perchance you missed last Sunday morning's message by Brother Davis, I I beg of you, I beseech you, as Paul said, to go onto our website and listen to that message. He uh, preached a message on God's way of dealing with our wrong emotions. And he made it crystal clear on the priority between the mind and the will and our feelings and how that if we're going to deal with things biblically, it starts out with our mind and the truth of God's word. And then our will makes a decision based upon that factual information from the Bible and then the feelings follow. But listen, our culture and society today has reprogrammed even Christians to, to, to lead with the feelings, to lead with the emotions, and then try to figure out a way to make the Word of God either endorse or justify our wrong emotions. You ought to get that message and talk to many people who heard that, and I, I think that they would vouch for me that it is a very must, uh, a must-see or must-listen-to message. Verse number one, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled 
of the Word of life. Notice that John is saying that Jesus Christ, the Word of life, we've touched Him. We've heard Him with our ears. We've seen Him with our physical eyes. Oh, how that must have been a wonderful thing to be with Him and see all of those miracles and listen firsthand to His teaching. But notice that John uses the word Word, capital W, as he's describing the relationship with Jesus Christ. There's a purpose for that. There's a reason for that. Because we need to understand that our relationship with Him comes from not only a word, but from the Word. The beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus Christ. Why else would He be called the Word of God if there wasn't a connection between the written Word of God? This fellowship, it's informational. You know, it starts out with the mind, the truth of God's Word, and then it's experiential. John is saying here, uh, look at verse 3, "...that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us." And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That's an experiential thing. John is saying, we experienced Him, and we're sharing this experience so that you can have fellowship with us, but more importantly, so that we can all have fellowship with God, with the Father, and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We have not seen, heard, or touched Jesus physically like the disciples had, but we have spiritually. I can't speak for you, but I've seen him with my spiritual eyes. I've seen the cross of Calvary as in conviction of sin and recognizing my sinful need. I've seen him in my spirit hanging there on the cross of Calvary, dying there for my sins. I've seen a resurrection tomb that he rose again the third day. I haven't seen it with my physical eyes, but I've seen it with my spiritual eyes. I haven't touched him or been touched by Jesus physically, but I have been spiritually. So our fellowship with one another should be centered around these experiences. I'm thankful for friends And I'm thankful for social experiences. I'm looking out and I see many of you that you personally mean a lot to me because of our social friendship. I enjoy spending time and laughing and talking and getting to know one another and sharing our burdens. And all of these are very valuable parts of our Christian experience. But none of those can replace our meaningful fellowship that's supposed to be centered around Jesus Christ, that gospel, what we have responded to. And I believe that many of the problems that occur in churches is because we lose sight of that. And the the benefit, the social benefit of experiencing church, it takes the precedent over the spiritual communion and fellowship that we have in Jesus Christ. And that's why, you know, many churches, if they have a fun event or a fellowship or if they have a homecoming meal, it's like the place is crowded. But when they have communion on a Sunday night, it's like, well, nobody really 
cares about that. That's not a guilt trip, folks. That's just presenting to you the reality. And I think that it's sad and it's heartbreaking because we're missing out on something. That meaningful fellowship is available to us. And we'll see that here in just a little while. But sadly, it's either rejected or just neglected. I don't think I'm preaching to anyone here this morning that has rejected that fellowship. I hope not. But I'm certainly preaching to at least someone here this morning that has neglected that meaningful fellowship that's centered around the experience that we've had with Jesus Christ. A well-known preacher from Texas, if I mentioned his name, many of you would say, yeah, I've heard of him. I've heard him on the radio But he told a story about an old Marine buddy that he served in the Marine Corps with. This man was a very, very wicked man. He was a drinker and a carouser, and he had foul language, and, uh, you know, he, he would steal, and he would lie, and he would cheat, and all of the things that uh, back then probably made a good Marine, (laughs) I don't know, but he was rough. And unknowns to this preacher that shortly after this man got discharged, he trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And his life was revolutionized. All of those things that he used to do, he no longer did them. And in passing of time, the, this preacher, he, he made contact with his buddy. Years had passed, and he said, wow, he couldn't believe that this man actually got saved and that his life had been changed. And they began to talk, they began to fellowship. And talk about that conversion. And his buddy said this. He said, you know, he said, I'm, I'm very glad that I accepted Christ as my Savior. I'm very glad that I don't do all of those things that I used to do. But he said, you know, he said, I'll tell you what I miss about my old life. He said, I miss the time when I would be in the bar with all of my buddies. And we could just let our hair down and just talk about anything and just get it off of our chest and laugh about it, cry about it, talk about it. And I heard that story and I thought, you know, that's, that's so sad because the reality is, is that's what fellowship, Christian fellowship is made for. Yes. This man told this preacher, he said, you know, now if I were to just open up and be transparent and tell about my struggles and my problems or even my sins, he said... I'd either get rejected or rebuked or somebody would quote me a verse. And I thought, you know what? Sadly, that is what happens too often in churches. Now listen, I'm not trying to glorify this man's past life. His perception was a little bit skewed. If you'll recall, it's a cliche talking about barroom fights. There's plenty of fights that go on. Plenty of problems there, and it's not as glittery as this man remembered it from his past, but perhaps maybe he was just kind of crying out that, hey, I've got a need for meaningful fellowship, and I'm not getting it at church. Now, that may be the case with you, and once again, we'll talk more about that, but it reminded me about the two Sunday school boys that were sitting around talking about their Sunday school lesson about Noah and the ark. And this one boy was talking about, you know, how that, wow, it must have been, must have been pretty rough on the ark. You know, they had all these animals and, you know, they're, they're all pretty stinky. 
the boat's rocking back and forth and not a whole lot of air moving through it and just talking about how uncomfortable that it must have been on the ark. And the other boy said very wisely, he said, well, he said, all of that may be true, but it was the best thing afloat. (laughs) And, you know, sometimes that's kind of the way it is with church. Sometimes churches can be smelly and stinky and full of animals, (laughs) but it's still... From God's perspective, it's still the best thing afloat. We, we got our problems. We have our, uh, heard someone say this, I hadn't heard it for years. We have our warts, but it's still God's people. And I'm thankful that there's still a lot of good things with church. Henry Ward Beecher said this, he said, The church is not a gallery for the exhibition of eminent or perfect Christians, but rather, he said, it's a school for the education of imperfect ones. And that's what church is all about. You get a bunch of people together, I don't care if it's in a church or a civic club or down at Walmart, you get a bunch of people together and you're going to have problems, you're going to have failures, you're going to have a bunch of hypocrites. Do you know how many people that work for Walmart that really don't care about Walmart or care about you? They just have a job to do. They're clocking in and clocking out and getting a paycheck. They don't care about you. But you still go and get your groceries, don't you? Yeah, well, it's because that's where they're the cheapest. That's the best place to go. Well, that's why will we put up with that, but people won't put up with the problems of Christianity. Well, maybe... Maybe some of that is justified, but maybe not as much as we'd like to think. And so, truly, the distinctives of fellowship are we have fellowship with the Father, with the Son, and with Jesus Christ. That brings me to my second point, and that is the basis for meaningful fellowship. In verse number three, it's a threefold relationship with one another, with the Father, and with the Son. We saw previously that our fellowship with God was royally messed up in the Garden of Eden. Our basis for fellowship before Genesis 3, you know what it was? It was innocence. That was our basis for fellowship. It was easy to fellowship with God because man was innocent. He was perfect. He was holy. Everything about that relationship between Adam and God was just perfect. How Adam must have enjoyed those walks with God there at the cool of the day, there in the garden. Have you ever wondered, you ever thought about what they must have talked about? You know, it's interesting. Adam was created as an adult. Adam was created with language. Adam didn't have to learn everything like a little baby has to learn it. God put in Adam that knowledge to communicate I don't know but what Adam didn't have some built-in memories or different faculties to talk about. We don't know. You know, when you think about that, listen, I don't know about what science says about the the earth being billions and billions of years old. A lot of that science is a bunch of junk science, okay? There's two things that I do know, though. Number one, I know that this earth was different before the flood. Number two, I know that God created man already grown up. So how big of a deal would it be for God to create a planet with all of the molecules and all of the carbon and all of those things that from day one 
they already had age showing on them. That would be no problem for God. He didn't create every, everything was created already functioning in its system. So according to the word of God, there's no conflict with anything that science comes up with. By the way, science is not very scientific. It's more religious than it is scientific, but that's a message for another time. Our relationship with God, our fellowship was messed up because we lost our innocence. And all of our excuses, all of our blame, all of our justification can never take away the consciousness of our nakedness. Adam said, the woman that thou hast given me. The woman said, the serpent beguiled me. They were trying to rationalize some way to ease their conscience, to ease their guilt, to somehow relieve that nakedness. They sewed fig leaves together. Everything that they could possibly do was futile and worthless because the problem was now inherent. It was not circumstantial. And you know what, folks? You can remove the shame of nakedness in our culture. And man's trying to do that, folks. I'm telling you what, there is so little shame in our society today. There are Women and girls who parade themselves around, leaving nothing to the imagination. And I'm here to tell you, it's wickedness. And it's caused man to have... Listen, they parade themselves around with no shame whatsoever. But I've seen it. And perhaps you've seen it before too. You take a young woman that's going around and just showing herself... And they're just fine when they're around their friends and everything just fine. But you put them in the presence of a godly grandparent. Hey, listen, I've seen, I've seen women come into church service with a mini skirt with their naked legs showing and sit up on the front. And the man of God gets up and starts preaching. And all of a sudden some tugging starts going on, trying to tug that thing down and cover up. You remember when the apostle Peter, went out fishing and he took his shirt off and the Lord Jesus was, the resurrected Jesus was on the shore and he said, hey children, you got any meat? Peter looked up from fishing and he saw that it was the Lord. You know what he did? He put his coat back, he put his shirt on. Nobody puts their shirt on before they dive into the water and start swimming unless they have a shame of nakedness and that shame of nakedness always happens when God's present. Why do you think that there's no shame of nakedness in our culture today? It's because God's not present. You put God back in our culture, I'm telling you, there's going to be a shame, a sense that, hey, I'm naked. Now, that's a physical nakedness. But this shame of spiritual nakedness, our conscience is awakened, and that's where the blood of Jesus Christ comes in. It's a covering. It's a covering of our soul. The blood of Jesus was not just a substance that was shed on Calvary's cross, but it is the propitiation. It is the covering for our soul and for our sins. We can't have meaningful fellowship with a holy God while we are conscious of our nakedness. 
I was talking to someone just the other day. We've all had those dreams where we're at school or we're at church and we're walking around in our underwear or worse. You wake up and it's like, thank God that was just a dream. I've woken, uh, I woke up in sweat sometimes thinking, oh, I'm so glad that that was just a dream. The shame, the embarrassment, and you know, you're in your dream, you're just kind of, well, maybe if I just ignore it, nobody will notice. But you're aware of it in your dream. There's something subconscious down deep in the soul of man. I think almost everyone's had that dream. I won't ask for a show of hands, but most everybody I've ever talked to has had a dream where they're just naked in a place where they ought not be naked. It's inherent, and it comes from the Garden of Eden, and that is where the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed upon the cross, that's where the value and the practicality comes in. Now, number three, I want to talk about the restoration of fellowship. I'm sure that many of you that I'm speaking to here this morning, you've had times where you've had meaningful fellowship with the Lord. But you've also had times where you just felt like that meaningful fellowship was broken. It's like God just seems so far away. He seems so impersonal. I know what the Bible says. I know what, what's right or wrong. I got all the, the black and the white issues all sorted out and I got my checkbox. But God just doesn't say, he's no longer emotional. It's no longer real. And I don't, I don't feel his presence anymore. Well, there are sometimes reasons for that. Sometimes God will hide himself. I hope you know that. God will hide himself from you, and it's not always because of anything that you've done that's wrong. There are times where God will hide himself, and he's got a plan, and he's got a purpose. And it's something that we all need to go through from time to time to learn how to trust him. But when it comes to this meaningful fellowship, I want to remind all of us that you know what? Jesus did his part. We have broken fellowship among ourselves from time to time. Every single one of us, if you interact with someone, eventually you're going to say something offensive or you're going to neglect saying something. All of us from time to time, is going. we're going to do something wrong or we're going to fail to do something right that's going to end up breaking the meaningfulness of that fellowship. But Jesus did his part and he has never failed us. He has never and never will do anything on his part to break that fellowship. So it's all on us. So what do we need to do? Well, number one, first of all, is you must get real with yourself and with God. Look at verse number six. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Look at verse number eight. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse number 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Before you can get right, you have to first get real. You have to look in the mirror. You got to get real with yourself and just face it. Accept the fact Acknowledge what you you really are, what we are, a healthy, accurate self-awareness. I'm not talking about 
Uh, I'm not talking about false humility. I've heard people display false humility. Yeah, you know, I'm just, I know, I'm just lower than a snake's belly. I'm not talking about false humility. The world knows that, that neither arrogance or false humility are virtues. All right? Humility is not having an excessive false opinion or low estimation of yourself. Humility is not thinking about ourself at all. But we got to get real with God and just face who we really are. Stop compartmentalizing our lives. Stop justifying and excusing our behavior or comparing ourselves with, you know, you can always find someone to compare yourself that's worse than you that'll make you feel better about yourself. And if you can't find them, then you'll talk about them in a way that in your mind you can create a superiority. That's just human nature. That's why we gossip. That's why we backbite. That's why all of these things, because we're trying to elevate our esteem and put other people below us. But if you want to have meaningful fellowship with Jesus Christ, then you got to get real. Number two, you got to confess. Verse number nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This concept is connected to being real because a confession is the declaration of something that's true. You got to fess up. I, I did it. As the old song says, it's not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O Lord. And just get rid of the excuses, confess it, get real with God. Well, what, what if, if I tell him that, maybe he'll reject me? He already knows. The idea of confession is not so that God can get us, but rather so that we can get God. He's... Got stretched out arms, and he's desiring that meaningful fellowship. And then number three, you must believe it. Notice that the writer here, John, says that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Brother Davis talked about this last week, that sometimes you have to forgive yourself. I'm not sure that I, I think, depending on your perspective of that, that can be a good concept or not so good concept. I don't like the aspect of that concept that, hey, if God can forgive me, but I can't forgive myself, that means that I have a higher higher standard than God. I don't like that aspect of it. But some of it comes down to really semantics, just word meanings. And I think really forgiving ourselves comes down to believing and receiving God's forgiveness. Listen, if God has cleansed me from all unrighteousness and I believe it, then I don't have anything to forgive myself of because it's already cleansed. So it just, once again, that comes down to humility and believing and receiving. In conclusion, I want to say this. You need meaningful fellowship. I need meaningful fellowship. We all need meaningful fellowship. And you know what meaningful fellowship is. It doesn't mean just being around people. Oh, I've had many times where I've been surrounded by people, but I felt all alone. I didn't feel like any of this fellowship was meaningful. 
We've all been in crowds or in situations where we're surrounded by people, whether it be family, church, people, and we still feel all alone and lonely. In World War II, the Japanese experimented to find the most effective ways to punish and get information from their prisoners. They found that solitary confinement by far was the most effective method. For most soldiers that were prisoners of war, they found that it only took a few days of solitary confinement until they would break down and tell everything that they knew. You need fellowship. And if you don't get it from the right place, then you'll seek it from the wrong place. You know, people are all looking for acceptance. They'll do all kinds of things. They'll pierce and mark their body in order to get acceptance and fellowship from a crowd. They'll participate in uh, drugs or alcohol in order to get acceptance from the crowd. They'll listen to specific or particular types of music in order to gain acceptance and fellowship from a crowd. If you don't get it from the place you're supposed to get it from, then you'll seek it from the wrong place. Oftentimes, church is blamed for this failure, and sometimes churches are at fault in this failure. I, I confess that. Not all, no church is perfect, and churches fail in this respect, but churches sometimes get blamed when the problem is not the church. Just like God gets blamed when God is not the problem. The real cause is often found in this verse. Consider this, and we're almost done. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, be, not, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? Listen, there are plenty of people that were raised in church, and they blame the church for the failure and meaningful relationships, but the problem wasn't the church, the problem was that they'd never been truly born again, never been regenerated, and they found that the fellowship that the church had to offer was a fellowship of light and righteousness, not darkness, and they found that, hey, I fit in better out there in the world. Listen, if somebody fits in better out in the world, it means they're probably of the world. And this fellowship that we have in Jesus Christ, Jesus saved us out of the world, and he dealt with our sin problems. So someone who's not born again or whose heart is not right with God is never going to find any meaningful fulfillment in the relationship or the fellowship that comes from the right kind of church. But even, listen to this, even when Christian fellowship breaks down, the most important thing in our lives is our fellowship with Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful. He's not going to let you down. He's not going to betray your trust. He's not going to reject you. God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God calls you. God says, hey, come, come and receive my son, Jesus Christ. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. The Holy Spirit is saying, come to Jesus Christ. He wants to fellowship with you. Even when the church and people break down, we still can look past that and recognize that, hey, I can still have meaningful fellowship with Jesus Christ. 
that story about that checkpoint that we encountered that Wednesday night a couple weeks ago. That was a very intriguing thing. As I already mentioned, I told the officer that, hey, I, I don't read flashlight braille. But, you know, as I reflect on that story, you know, that thing, that breakdown of communication and misperceptions and misunderstandings, that thing could have got real ugly. You know, I, I didn't mention this. I'm not even sure if my wife even noticed this. But while we were sitting there and I finally drew the conclusion that the police are saying go away, and I started to do that three-point turn, and when I started to go to the left, that there was a SUV behind me that got frustrated at my lack of Braille understanding and pulled around me and started to pass me. And as I started to do that three-point turn, if I would have not hit the brakes, then we would have had a collision right there. If I would have made it to actually turn around and the policeman would have chased me down, I know I would have had to try to pull over during those curves. There's no side of the road to pull over. So who knows? There could have been a wreck. There could have been a misunderstanding. I wouldn't have known what was going on. But all of this, from my perspective, I'm thinking these are police officers. I'm on their side. I'm thinking somebody's hurt or somebody needs help and I'm wanting to cooperate with them. But they're thinking that, hey, this is a guy that's guilty. He's getting ready to run. They were seeing what they were looking for. Can you see how that entire scenario could have really gotten ugly because of the breakdown of communication? I, I thought about that. You know, if I was in that scenario before, I would take a light and I wouldn't shine it at the person that all they can see. They can't see the body, can't see anything. It's all darkness behind that light. It's just, here's this light doing this. I have no idea what that meant. I would have shined it on a fellow police officer who's going, come on. But the communication broke down. Misunderstandings, mistrust, all of these things. When we don't trust God, when we don't take him at his word, when we don't recognize that our fellowship with one another for it to be meaningful It has to be centered around Jesus Christ. We have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. That is the basis. That is the definition, the distinctives. That is the restoration of our fellowship. God has offered you meaningful fellowship in Jesus Christ. You can enjoy it if you will receive it.